Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Tonight we begin a new season, the season of Epiphany. Uh, it always closes out the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, January 6th, and it's ushered in with the arrival of the Magi, the wise men, as we heard in our gospel lesson. The word epiphany means revelation or manifestation, and throughout the season we see the means through which Christ is revealed or manifest today. And this is all signified through the star that appeared the night Christ was born. And the star not only reveals to us what or, or who our destination is, like the wise men had their destination, but it brings us to it. Now, as we look at this account, I, I want us to peel back the, the version that we think we know. Now, thanks to popular art and, and even kids' movies, you probably have this picture in your mind of the wise men, like these three Venetian noble kings who arrive at the manger with the cows and donkeys talking to each other and the snow falling, uh, and there's one single st uh, star to light up the night sky. Uh, as a friend of mine recently called it, that's the Disneyfication of Christmas, uh, and not the real thing. Uh, and it completely empties all of Luke's and, and Matthew's accounts of, of their real meaning. Matthew's account of the wise men here, uh, and the star is, is not meant to be cute. In fact, if you were a Jew hearing this for the first time, uh, there have been real scandal in this. Now, all four Gospels are written to different audiences, which is why, that, uh, why we don't have four identical versions of the Gospel story. Uh, Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience to demonstrate that Jesus was the promised Messiah, uh, the, the long-awaited anointed one, the King of Kings, the Son of David. And in the first three chapters of Matthew, Matthew is going point by point through the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the five books of Moses, showing how Christ is the fulfillment of the first and most important books to the Jews, the Pentateuch. And the star that was first prophesied in Numbers 24, uh, Matthew, Matthew's the one to list, uh, it's prophesied, first of all, by Balaam, the guy whose donkey actually does talk to him. Uh, and again, it's not meant to be cute. But Balaam prophesies, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, a star was a symbol of royalty because a king received his authority from above, from heaven. As the Magi Daniel uh, told King Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Now, none of this so far is scandalous. What is scandalous is who recognizes this star and who comes to worship this newborn king. Wise men from the east, or more accurately, magi from Babylon or Persia. Uh, magi is where we get the term magician. So they were practitioners of, of sorcery and astrology. 
so if you ever hear a sermon, by the way, about how you should become like a wise man or, or, or a magi, most likely it completely misses the point. Now, because to the Jews, the, the magi were pagan outsiders uh, and heathens. And the last time anyone came from Persia or Babylon to meet a king of Israel was to destroy them, to take them into captivity. So you have pagan enemies coming to bow down to this newborn king before anyone even in Jerusalem even cares to know what's going on. And when they go to the palace, all the chief priests and the experts in the, in the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, are brought together to figure out where this king was to be born. The priests should have been the first people to go see this newborn king, this Messiah. But nobody even bothered to think or ask what that new light in the sky might even mean. And on top of it all, the king in Jerusalem, Herod, who should be thrilled that the Messiah is, is born during his reign and all the Old Testament prophecies are being fulfilled, instead gets insanely paranoid and rageful and devises a plan to destroy this new king, this Messiah. And in all of this, we see how God works. It's a reversal of the way we think things should be. God reveals or manifests himself to us by grace. God reveals himself to those who are the least deserving, to those who are enemies of God and his people. And this is good news to you and I, because this is still how God operates today, by grace. He reveals himself to Gentile outsiders, we who are by nature enemies of God. And again, the significance of this, that God reveals himself purely by grace, is evident in the star. When the wise men depart from Herod, Matthew records, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stood over the place where, where the child was. Now, there's been countless theories as to what the star may have been. I, I've heard anything from a conjugation of planets uh, to a new star being born to a comet that appeared in the sky. Um, but, but all of that comes out of modernism that tries to scientize everything. And what it does, it makes a star into a natural phenomenon and less, something less than a miracle. But why, why would Matthew bother recording and including the detail about the star moving and standing still over the place, the house, where the child was? This is not how stars operate. It's not how planets operate. It's not how comets operate. Remember, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And something else did this exact same thing in the Pentateuch. The pillar of cloud and fire that led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, out of literal darkness in Egypt. And Moses writes that that, that pillar of, of, of light and cloud, that pillar of fire, uh, that as the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt and the Egyptians pursued them as the Israelites arrived at the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud uh, moved uh, between the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it became a cloud of darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other. This is what the gospel does. 
it becomes a stumbling block and foolishness to the wise. But to those who are saved, it's the power of God. The king of the Jews, Herod, takes the place of wicked Gentile Pharaoh. And all of Jerusalem, who should have recognized this light, they take the place of Egypt. Meanwhile, Gentile magicians take the place of Israel. God reveals himself by grace. Nearly 30 chapters later in Exodus, that pillar of light comes to rest over the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was the temporary dwelling place, the place where God sat between the cherubim on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. We sang about the mercy seat in one of our earlier hymns. Moses writes with echoes from the Gospel of Luke that the, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And not even Moses could go in because God was literally dwelling in that temporary dwelling, that temporary house. And whenever the pillar was taken up from the tabernacle, it, we're told it went ahead of them to the next place. And all of Israel could see it. All of Israel followed it. And once the Israelites reached their destination, it disappeared. Now, there's one other thing Moses makes clear about that pillar of light. That pillar of light, that pillar of fire, was the Lord. And not God the Father, but rather the great I Am, the pre-incarnate Christ, who is at the same time uh, filling the tabernacle with his glory, but also rising above it as its light. Jesus makes this clear when he said at a feast celebrating the tabernacle, he said, I am the light of the world. For Israel, that pillar showed them that God dwelled with them on earth, literally dwelled with them on earth in a temporary dwelling, but also lit their way to him. And is this not also what the star did? As the young Christ child dwelled in that temporary house in human flesh with his mother, so too did he himself light the way and bring others to him. And this is really relevant to us today, especially uh, to those who think they can find God on the golf course, golf course you know, uh, or, or discover God in nature, or that they could worship God without ever coming to the gathering of believers around his word, or, or, or they, they could find God in their hearts. We don't get to choose where we discover God. We don't get to, to, to find God by searching our hearts. God manifests himself to us. And he himself tells us where to find him. He brings us to himself in his word. And this is really the same way that the wise men found him, through, the, through divine revelation and as a humble baby boy. Now, this is really profound. Because we can't know God the Father apart from God the Son. Jesus manifests the Father to us. But he doesn't, he doesn't promise to come to us in our thoughts or our feelings or, or the places or palaces where we want him to be. No, he manifests himself in, in lowly places. Uh, he manifests himself in his word. 
And Jesus is the divine word, the Logos. Jesus is, at the same time, the manifestation of God and also the way to God. He is the one being revealed in Scripture and also the one revealing through Scripture. He is not only the boy on his mother's lap in the house in Bethlehem, but he is also the light who brings all people to himself. Christ is the destination, and also Christ is the means through which we reach our destination. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And for many people, that's, that's foolishness. There can't be one way to God. There can't be only one truth. But those who, who don't want to believe that they need the light are left in darkness, like Herod, like Egypt, and years later, like those who put him on the cross. And in this way, Epiphany is a foreshadow of the crucifixion, when darkness covered the earth. But as Jesus is lifted up, he again draws all people to himself, opening the path to the Father. The wise regard the crucifixion as foolishness. But to us, again, who are saved, who have been enlightened by his grace, it's the power of God. And Epiphany is ultimately fulfilled at the end of the world when rising in the east as the morning star, Jesus will return in, in all his glory. And then no one will be able to ignore or despise this light. Every eye will see him and every knee will bow. St. Peter, in the epistle lesson that ends the Epiphany season, comments on this word of God being the light to light our paths. He says, we also have the completely reliable prophetic word. You do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The only way to know God is through the Word. The Word preached, the Word combined with water in baptism, the Word of God in, with, and under the bread and the wine as Christ's body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And we see and know God through these things, but it's as if there's a veil covering them. They look humble. But Peter says that, that although it doesn't look like much, maybe it's dim, or maybe it's not as glorious as, as we'd like, we need to hang on to this lamp, this light. It is our lamp, as he says, in a dark place. For us who are sitting in darkness and the shadow of death, we may be sitting on our couch or at home in a funeral home, or, or in, our, in our home, sick. We may be in a funeral home. We may sitting, be sitting in a car or a long drive home. We may be cut off from our family uh, in prison or in rehab, wondering how we managed to screw up our life so badly. The darkness uh, may seem like it's never been darker for us in our lives. But in those moments, how great the light becomes. And Peter says that there is an end to it. If you're traveling down a dark path with just a lamp to light your way, there's only two things that will cause you to extinguish that light. Either the morning star rises to light your path so you need no artificial light, or you reach your destination. For us, 
it's one and the same. Just as that pillar of light and the star both disappeared once the Jews and Gentiles reached their destination, Christ, our word and light, brings us to ours. And then the pillar, uh, and then the morning star will rise, the new day will dawn, Jesus will return in all his glory, and we will have reached our destination where there will be no need for sun or moon or stars, for the Lord our God himself gives it its light. Christ is our morning star. In Jesus' name, amen.